Hey, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Selt, and this is the only place to be spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. Our team combs through literature for the best articles so that you don't have to, and then provides expert summaries no bigger than a spoonful so that you can keep up with the ever-changing landscape of acute care medicine. If you'd like to reward yourself or support us, we now offer CME credits through a partnership with Hippo Education. All the details for that are at our website at journalfeed.org. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which were brought to you by the superb Aaron Lacey and Clay Smith. The first article from this week was titled, Impact of Point-of-Care Testing on Length of Stay of Patients in the Emergency Department, a Cluster Randomized Control Study, out of the Journal of Academic Emergency Medicine. When searching for ways to reduce emergency room crowding, just like the best carpenter will occasionally blame his tools when things go wrong, we tend to do the same. One point of delay that seems obvious is waiting for our labs to come back. If we could just get that information faster, then we could make decisions faster, and then we could treat our patients faster, and then, of course, they could go home or to the floors faster. Let's have a look at how that actually might pan out, though. This was a cluster-randomized trial called Service d'Urgence Point of Care at a single emergency department at which 8,000 patients' labs were drawn. About half of the tests had central lab processing, and on alternate weeks, the labs were run in the emergency department with a broad panel of -of point-of-care tests. These included CBCs, metabolic panels, troponins, CRP, D-dimers, and even procalcitonin. Now, even though the point-of-care labs came back 51 minutes faster, being ready in just 35% of the time that it took the central lab, The length of stay was only 7 minutes fewer in the point-of-care testing group, at 203 minutes, versus with the central lab testing group, 210 minutes, without statistical significance between the two. So if you were hoping that faster tests might be the silver bullet to reducing crowding, well, I guess we're all kind of disappointed. After all, it doesn't really matter how quickly the tests come back if we don't check them. And I think that's important to consider for this study because I imagine that the workflow of these doctors who are used to getting their labs back more slowly aren't yet optimized to having their labs come back quite quickly. That being said, both patient and clinician satisfaction scores were actually higher with point-of-care testing. This was a single-center study, though with only 36% of patients having labs drawn. A larger center might have had different results. In a spoonful, emergency department length of stay was no different with point-of-care lab testing done in the emergency department versus central lab processing, despite a better turnaround time. Next was a second article titled Outcomes of Metabolic Resuscitation Using Asorbic Acid, Thymine, and Glutocorticoids in the Early Treatment of Sepsis, the ORANGES trial out of the journal CHEST. There are some big believers in hydrocortisone, ascorbic acid, and thiamine, nicely abbreviated to HAT or HAT, for the treatment of sepsis. And that's why we've seen a number of trials with similar approaches before. The Citrus Ali trial didn't meet the primary outcomes, but did have a possible mortality benefit. The Vitamins trial was also negative. Next was the less catchy HYVCTTSSS trial, which didn't show mortality benefit and was even stopped early due to severe hypernatremia in the treatment group. Following those true to the fruity theme, now we have the oranges trial, and what will it show us? This was an RCT comparing usual therapy and HAT that included 137 ICU patients with sepsis or septic shock. 
The dosages of the hat cocktail were hydrocortisone at 50 milligrams Q6 hours, ascorbic acid at 1500 milligrams Q6 hours, and thiamine 300 milligrams Q12 hours for four days. Vasopressors were stopped 11 hours faster in the HAT group at 27 hours versus 38 hours in the patients who did not receive the HAT treatment. This seemingly shows a faster resolution of shock, and this was one of the primary outcomes when the data was reported. Looking a little bit closer at the trial, though, we see that mortality was actually the primary outcome, and this was changed after several months of data collection. They changed the primary outcome from mortality to resolution of shock and SOFA scores. For the other primary outcome, the SOFA scores, there was no difference. As well as with the secondary outcomes of short-term mortality, length of stay, ventilator-free days, or procalcitonin clearance, all of which had no differences. In this study, there was also no evidence of harm from HAT therapy, so the hypernatremia found previously didn't appear to be a problem. But our author Clay points out that the word sodium wasn't actually mentioned in the entire paper, so it kind of leaves you to wonder a little bit. At the end of the day, it's a positive study, but against the backlog of negative trials, it's not particularly moving. Also, changing the primary outcomes leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth, you know? As our author nicely recommends, don't drink the orange Kool-Aid just yet. There are still several other studies on the way. In a spoonful, hydrocortisone, ascorbate, and thiamine giving during sepsis may lead to more rapid resolution of shock, but I wouldn't be won over by this trial just yet. And then we have the third article, which was titled Factors Associated with Death in Critically Ill Patients with Coronavirus Disease 2019 in the U.S. out of JAMA Internal Medicine. COVID's very new, and we're all just barely learning how to deal with this. Most of us are used to dealing with diseases that have been around for millennia, but with COVID, we're still just learning. To best treat it, we need as much information as we can get. Prognosis and resource allocation are just shots in the dark until we can get a good handle on how COVID affects our patients. This was a prospective study of 2,200 patients admitted to U.S. ICUs at 65 different centers. They used multiple logistic regression to determine which factors were independently associated with 28-day mortality from COVID-19, with 35% of the patients in the study having died at 28 days, 37% having been sent home, and 27% still in the hospital. Mortality rates between centers varied widely, from as low as 18% to as high as 81%. The mean age in this group was 60 years old, and 65% of patients were male. Now, the top three independent factors associated with death were identified as age over 80 years old, as opposed to being below 40, with an odds ratio of 11.15. Being admitted to a smaller ICU of less than 50 beds, with an odds ratio of 3.28, and the presence of more severe hypoxemia measured as a PaO2 to FiO2 ratio less than 100, with an odds ratio of 2.94. Other factors that were predictive of death were male sex, high BMI, coronary artery disease, active cancer, liver dysfunction, and kidney dysfunction. All of the exact odds ratios can be found up on the blog or in the original paper. Worth noting is that race, hypertension, and diabetes were not independently associated with death from this study. 
In a spoonful, COVID-19 is more likely to be fatal in older male overweight patients with comorbidities, namely those with severe lung, liver, or kidney disease, as well as those who are admitted to smaller hospitals with smaller ICUs. And after that, we have the fourth article titled Neurological Associations of COVID-19 out of the Lancet Neurology. Neurological symptoms arose in less than 1% of SARS and MERS patients, but I guess no one ever told that to COVID. Up to 7% of hospitalized patients and 69% of ICU patients with COVID may develop encephalopathy, as well as 2-6% who may suffer a stroke. This study looked into what neurological changes you might see with COVID-19. It's a list, but, you know, bear with me. First are the most famous symptoms of loss of smell or loss of taste, anosmia, and agusia. COVID may also cause encephalopathy with altered mental status or seizure. Neuropsychiatric derangements such as psychosis, dementia symptoms, and affective disorders are seen. Stroke and all its associated problems, as well as other bleeding and coagulative intracranial complications, have also been recorded. And then there are various itises, including CNS vasculitis, myelitis, encephalitis, meningitis, and encephalomyelitis. Lastly, things like Guillain-Barré syndrome and rhabdomyolysis have also been reported. Finally, something that's important to keep in mind is that some patients may present with neurological findings without any of the associated respiratory findings. So in these times, in a patient with sudden onset neurological findings, make sure to gown up in that PPE and send for a COVID swab. In a spoonful, COVID-19 has been associated with a myriad of neurological findings. Keep these on your radar. Lastly, the fifth article, we have the IFib trial, Intravenous Fluids in Benign Headaches, a randomized, single-blinded clinical trial out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. If your mother is anything like my mother, then you probably received the advice to drink some water if you ever complained of a headache. Clearly, other people's mothers might have been giving similar advice because IV fluids have made their way into many primary headache cocktails for emergency department management. A tall glass of water honestly usually helped me, but what about emergency department patients? This was a single-center blinded clinical trial that randomized 58 patients aged 10 to 65 years old with primary headaches to receive prochlorperazine and diphenhydramine with or without IV fluid bolus up to 1 liter. On a 100 millimeter visual analog scale, the groups had reductions of 48.3 millimeters and 48.7 millimeters at 60 minutes. Unsurprisingly, the difference between those two numbers at only 0.4 is not significant. So this raises the question, should we be giving IV fluids as part of the headache cocktail? Of course, there's a very low risk of giving some fluids, but this still takes up time and resources. So even though this was a very small study, consider cutting out the fluids. In a spoonful, in patients who presented to the emergency department with primary headache, those who got IV fluids had similar pain reduction scores to those who did not. And that's the last of the articles for this week. Let's do a quick rapid review of everything that we learned. From the first article, rapid turnaround times with point-of-care testing in the emergency department did not significantly affect patient length of stay. Next, the ORANGES trial showed that the cocktail of hydrocortisone, ascorbate, and thiamine may reduce the time to resolution of shock in septic patients, but without a difference in mortality. After that, we are finally starting to get a handle on who among our patients are at most risk for severe COVID-19 infections. 
The top three independent predictive factors for mortality are old age, going to a smaller ICU, and more severe hypoxemia. And from the fourth article, while it's still chiefly a respiratory virus, COVID-19 is making a name for itself in the neurological department as well. Keep your eyes open for these findings in COVID patients and beware unexplained neurological symptoms, even in otherwise asymptomatic patients. Lastly, a tall glass of water might help with your headache at home, but if it's bad enough for you to come to the emergency department, then a bit of fluids probably doesn't seem to help, at least not from this small RCT. So that's the last of it. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter and get daily spoon feeds through your email. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding. And so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you. <laughs>